I'm excited about this series, and I want to tell you why. We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about end time stuff, stuff that many of you are interested in. Some of you don't know much about. Some of you may be confused about. Some of you may disagree with some of the things that we're going to say. But several weeks ago, I just had a, just a moment where I said, this series cannot begin unless we first begin with the author of all of it. We have to begin with God. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it just simply says this, in the beginning, God. And that's where we're going to begin this series with a study of God. Now, some of you may be going, why? Well, because if we don't have a clear understanding of, one, of the one who created the beginning and the one who is deeply involved in the present and the one who has complete knowledge of how everything ends, then nothing else that we have to say over the next few weeks can truly make sense. It just, it just can't make sense. Nothing will make sense if we don't first try to, 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 to make an attempt to make sense of God. Now, why is that? Well, he, because he is the centerpiece of the story. The whole book, the Bible, it's all about him. Now, some of you may have been confused thinking this book's about me. It's not. It's about him. All right? The story from beginning to end is his story. He's not only the author of the story, he is the central character of the story, and he's also the finisher of the story. So the driving force of our lives should be a pursuit to know more about him, to understand his nature, to understand his character, his plan, his purpose, and how we fit into his story, and even bigger than that, how Westridge Church fits into his story. I love what pastor and author Tony Evans says. He says, knowing who God is defines who we are. They asked renowned um, uh, theologian, uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul one time, they said, what in your opinion is the greatest spiritual need in the world today? And his response was, the greatest need in people's lives today is to discover the true identity of God. He says, a lot of unchurched people don't really understand the God that they're rejecting. Then he was asked, what in, your, what in your opinion is the greatest spiritual need in the lives of church-going people today? And he said, to discover the true identity of God. Because he says, if believers really understood the true character and nature of God, it would revolutionize their lives. And so my hope over the next several weeks is that you will, you will have a greater clarity and a greater understanding about creation and about heaven, and about hell, and, and end times, the beginning and the end. Because in today's world, of all people, of all people, we need this clarity. And that's what we're going to be over the next several weeks. However, my goal this morning is to introduce you to the God who the Bible describes as the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, the Almighty. Now, I want to start off with a few misconceptions about God because there's a lot of them and I'm just going to give you a few of them, all right? First of all, maybe obviously one of the biggest misconceptions is just simply there is no God. Now, because we live in a religious culture here, you know, in the South, sometimes that we lose sight of the fact that there are many, many, many people all over the world, even here in the United States, that don't believe in a God at all. All right? He's either completely rejected or, if you go to where I was in Europe, he is basically an afterthought. Okay? The second misconception is that God is just love. God is just love. Now, one of, the, one of the challenges that we faced over history is that we have created God in our own image. And so there are a lot of people that look at God and the version of God that they've created to be this God that is all nothing more than warm and fuzzy, 
All right? Now, let me be real clear about this. God is love. No definition of love means anything unless it's rooted in God. But as much as God is love, you need to understand that he is also equally just. But there's another misconception that goes along with that as well, and that is that God is all wrath. And that's the idea that God's sole purpose for his existence is to rob us of our joy, to to be mad at us, to punish us, to bring judgment down on us. Now I know for some of you that may sound a little bit extreme, but if you grew up around religion or legalism, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Here's another big misconception, that God is whoever you want him to be. And that is a very dangerous misconception to hold on to. When we create God in our own image based on our own culture, tied into our own limited understanding, we create a version of God that is completely foreign to the God of this book, to the God of the Bible. And unfortunately, that's why there are so many religions today. That's even why there are so many different denominations and so many different views of who God is. Now, this may be the most dangerous of the misconceptions that, that, that's out there today, all right? Or the most misunderstood, let me say that. That all religions ultimately worship the same God. Very popular misconception today. You're probably, some of you kids who are in school, public school, you probably may be hearing that. Certainly, if you go to a secular university, I promise you're going to hear something like that. But all, the, the idea is in that is that all religious roads lead to the same God. And that's, that's a very dangerous misconception. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, let's take Muslims, the Jewish religion, and just Christianity, all right? The three largest religions in the world. Now, all three of those, here's what we have in common. All three of those religions trace their roots back to the God of Abraham. But from that point on, there are major disagreements on many, many things. Things like God's relationship to us, um, to mankind, forgiveness of sin, the afterlife, sin itself. The Trinity is a huge all right, misunderstand, or, or conflict there. Um, how to receive salvation, huge. And all of that disagreement comes down to one thing. It comes down to one thing. What do you believe about Jesus? Now, the, 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 the Jewish religion, Orthodox Jewish religion, all right, rejects Jesus. They may believe that he existed as a human, but they absolutely, be, they do not believe that he is the Messiah to this day. The Muslims see Jesus as a prophet who is on equal ground as Muhammad. However, to a true Christian, and understand, a true Christian, Jesus is not only the only way to know God, he is God. Matter of fact, God revealed himself to us through the very person of Jesus. Whereas every other religion requires works and maybe a relationship with Jesus to receive salvation and heaven, what separates true biblical Christianity from every other religion is, that, is the fact that we believe that forgiveness of sin, salvation, redemption, and eternity in heaven comes by placing our faith alone in Jesus Christ, okay? That's the big difference. So, we need to answer a very simple question from here on out. Who is God? Who is God? Well, first of all, and if you want to take notes, it's a great time to do that. God is a spirit being. 
John chapter 4, verse 24 says God is spirit. Now, one of the things, one of the things that that means is he is immaterial. Now, the word immaterial has a lot of different definitions. It does not mean that he's irrelevant. What it means is that God, God the Father has no form as we know it. He has no physical body. His form is spiritual. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 24, 39. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now you say, what is it? What, okay, what about when the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord is upon me or that the hand of the Lord is mighty to save us? Those are what you would call anthropomorphisms, which means the use of human descriptions to help us to relate to a spirit being that we could not otherwise relate to. Okay? But also know this, God is a person. John 4:24 says God is spirit and those who worship him. In other words, we know God is a person because throughout the Bible, he feels, he thinks, he hears prayers, he speaks, he loves, he chooses. So he's an immaterial person. Now listen to this verse. Exodus 3:14. God said to Moses, "I am who I am." And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am who uh, has sent me to you. All right. Now, he's not only material and not only a person, but he's also invisible. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, the only time that God has truly been seen, all right, uh, is through the old, the old Testament appearances of Jesus. So when you see God showing up in the Old Testament, who's coming? It's, it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, which is called the Christophany. Or the New, the New Testament appearances of Jesus in the flesh. God the Father has never been seen. However, because he is a spirit, we can pray to him and we can worship him spirit to spirit. Second thing, God is an eternal being. Now that means he has no beginning and he has no end. Psalm chapter 90 verse 2 tells us that God exists from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, there has never been a time when God was not. Now that's really difficult for us to comprehend because we are linear, 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 uh, linear creatures. We go from A to B to C to D. We go from 1 to 2 to 3, all right? We are past, present, and future. But all of that is meaningless to God. All right, when God told Moses, I am who I am, that meant that God always has been and always will be. He constantly lives in the present. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that God knows everything that is going to happen in the future. So if he tells you that something is going to happen in the future, you can believe him 100%. Also, we need to realize he's independent. Everything in creation needs something outside of itself to exist, all right? But God needs nothing outside of himself because he is self-generating. Now, that's good news and it's bad news. The bad news is that God doesn't need us. The good news is, is that we were created to enjoy him. We were created to benefit from him and to participate in what he is doing in the world today. Another thing is, is that God is an unchangeable being. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now the second law of thermodynamics, all right, in layman's terms, says that everything changes. 
People change, seasons change, times change, but God does not change. His purposes do not change. His plans do not change. His words do not change. His character does not change. He may change his methods for how he chooses to do something or how he chooses to deal with us, but his character never changes. Then we need to realize that God is a triune being. In other words, let me read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the word for God there is this, in this verse, is this plural word, Elohim. That means that God is made of three distinct persons. We call it the Trinity. And those three persons together had a part in creation. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all played a role together in everything that was created everything that we see in Genesis. Also, we need to realize that God has many names. He has many names throughout the Bible. Elohim means he is powerful and mighty. El Elyon means he's the strongest one. El Roy means he's the strongest who sees. El Shaddai, the Almighty, the God who is enough. El Olam, the everlasting God. Adonai, the master Lord, the owner of all creation. Jehovah means Yahweh, the Lord. To Abraham, he was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. To Moses, he was Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord is my sanctifier. And Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. To David, he was Jehovah Raha, the Lord is my shepherd. To Israel, he was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. To Gideon, he was Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. To Ezekiel, he was Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. To Jeremiah, he was Jehovah Desidkanu, the Lord who is my righteousness. To many of you this morning, he is your father. He is Abba, he's our daddy. Now, I only hit on a few of the names, but, but the reason I did that is because we can relate to him on so many different levels through these, based on his many names. Now, there are three things that we have to remember about God. First of all, we, what we believe about God affects every major decision we make in this life. If, if the Lord is truly Jehovah Jireh, then we don't need to worry about our future or our finances. Why? Because he's a provider. If he is truly Jehovah, Jehovah Mekadesh, then we don't have to be trapped in sin because he's our sanctifier. If God calls us to do something that scares us to death, we don't need to worry because he's Jehovah Raha, our great shepherd. When you are lonely and you're scared, that's who you call upon. When the storms of life seem to be way too big to handle for you, who do you call on? You call on Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. When you are desperate in need of healing, you call upon Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. And when you feel like life's falling apart, what do you do? You fall back into the arms. You just free fall back into the arms of Abba, our father, our daddy, the safe arms of our God. See, listen, if God is small and powerless in your mind, if he is unreachable and uncaring, you will approach every major decision in your life based upon that knowledge of God. But if he is truly powerful and all-knowing and El Shaddai, the God who is enough, then every decision you make in, in, in your life will be run through the grid of your understanding of his character and his attributes. It's an issue of faith. The second thing is, God was not made in our image, we were made in his. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that does not mean that we look like God. I know some of you think you might look like God, but you don't. 
Being made in his image means that we get to share in his personality. We get the benefit of, 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 from his love. We get the benefit of knowing his truth and his wisdom and his, and, and his holiness, all for the purpose of fellowshipping with him. But here's my concern. Sometimes we, without even knowing it, we like to create God in our own image. We like to make him in our own image. If we're Catholic, we assume God is a Catholic. If we happen to, to live in the South and, and be Baptist, we create God in our minds to, to be just like we are, maybe a Southern Baptist. All right? If we grew up in a pew, or maybe a pew-jumping charismatic church, well, in our minds, if God were here, he'd be jumping over the seats. All right? If, if, if we see, if our faith is small and safe, then guess what? We see God as small and safe. If we go to Westridge Church... God may be hip, casually dressed, and he happens to like contemporary music. But see, when we create God in our own image, what happens is he becomes a false idol that we've created. And the danger with doing that is that we begin to judge everyone based upon the image of the God that we have created. That's how we have divided the kingdom of God. That's why we're so fragmented in this world when it comes to religion. That's why we're so fragmented on Sunday mornings as a church. See, God is neither white nor black. He's not Hispanic or Asian. He's not charismatic. He's not Methodist. He's not Catholic. He's not Baptist and he's not a legalist. He's not a liberal. And I know it's going to disappoint some of you, but he's not Republican and he's not Democrat. So whatever image you've created of God in your mind, I want you to know is probably wrong. Because however big your God is right now, it's probably not big enough. However holy he is to you is not holy enough. However loving he is to you, you will never be able to capture how truly loving he actually is. And sometimes we get a little pious when we think sometimes that we, we've got the corner on God. We think we're one up on the person that maybe is next to us or, or in a different generation because we think, you know, I got this little bit of knowledge that no one else ever had before. We feel like we've had some kind of special revelation. Psalm chapter 139 verse 6, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. So we need to understand God is not made in our image. We are, we are made in his simply because he wants to spend time with us and get to know him. And, and when we think about it that way, that's very humbling. Should be very humbling. The last thing is that God does not exist to make much of us. And if you've been in this church long enough, you know what I'm about to say. We exist to make much of him. In other words, it's not about me. And it's not about you. And one of the things that God has just impressed on me over the many, many years that I've been a pastor is that God is very jealous over his glory. What does glory mean? Glory means heavy. It means preeminence. It's the question who, who carries the weight, who gets the credit for what goes on, who gets the pat on the back, who stands, who gets to stand above the rest. And a lot of times without maybe even wanting it to be this way, we think it's all about us. We walk into church or whatever and we expect this is, this is all about us. I, you know, I liked that song. I didn't like that song. This was too loud or it's not loud enough. This is, that song was too long. It's too short. Too much guitar in that song. Didn't like that guitar. Didn't like last week we had so many drums. Didn't like, don't like the bass. Don't like that. Guess what? None of it's for you. None of this is for us. It's all for him. Amen. Isaiah. Don't get your preferences confused with God's glory. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no 
other, nor my praise to carved idols. Now, apparently while I was gone, um, uh, Joel Olstein's wife, Victoria, made a comment um, in a service a few weeks ago at Lakewood Church in Houston, and, and I watched it online, and so I'm going to give you direct, like, direct quote to what she said. She said a bunch of things, but I'm going to read one thing she said. She said, when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Now, when I watched the video, I, Victoria was standing here, Joel was standing over here. If, if I were Joel at this moment, what I would have done probably was very lovingly put my arm around Victoria and say something like this, Victoria, darling, I love you and you are beautiful, all right? But, but Victoria, you are either really, really confused or something because you are flat out wrong right now, all right? See, listen. Now, I want to say this to her point. There are tremendous benefits tremendous personal benefits to our obedience to God and to our worship of him. But make no mistake about it. It's all about him and his glory. Okay? Everything that we do. God's chief priority is the revelation of his glory. This and everything that we have on this earth and everything that has ever been created is all about him. And he wants you to know how great he is. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. And to those that show themselves holy, I will be glorified. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 7. We, were, we are created for his glory. Moses begged to see it on Mount Sinai. Moses said, God, show me your glory. His glory so flooded the temple one time that the priest could not minister. It's what surrounded the angels in the pastures of Bethlehem. Christ will return in it and heaven will be illuminated by it. The revelation of his glory is his purpose and he is the one who decides when and where and with whom he will share it. David understood it very clearly in Psalm chapter 29, verse 1 through 9. He said this, bravo, God, bravo. God, God and all his angels shout encore. In awe before the Lord, in awe before God's visible power, stand at attention. Dressed your best to honor him. God thunders across the waters. Brilliant his voice in his face, streaming brightness. God across the flood waters. God thunder, symphonic. God's thunder, symphonic. God's thunder smashes cedars. God topples the northern cedars. The mountain ranges skip like spring colts. The high ranges jump like wild kid goats. God's thunder spits fire. God thunders the wilderness quakes. He makes the deserts of Kadesh shake. God thunders, sets the oak trees dancing, a wild dance whirling, the pelting rain strips their branches. We fall to our knees and we call out glory. Listen, God's priority is to reveal his glory. If he had a staff, mat, uh, if he had a staff meeting, the one question on the agenda would be, how can we better broadcast my glory? If God had a to-do list, he would only have one thing on the to-do list. It would be, how do we better reveal my glory? We were created for his glory. The heavens and the earth exist for his glory. And so simply stated, it's not about me and it's not about you. Our purpose in this life is to reveal his glory in everything that we do, in every relationship that we have. Your marriage should be all about revealing God's glory. The way you raise your kids should be all about revealing God's glory. In every moment of our lives, every decision of our lives, think about this. With every decision you make, you need to ask the question, am I revealing God's glory? Now, I realize for many of you, there's a nagging question that may be going around in your mind right now. 
And for most of you, you would never say this out loud, but I'll, so I'll say it for you. If God is all about himself and everything is all about revealing God's glory, wouldn't we call that arrogance? Wouldn't that be self-centeredness? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be boasting? Isn't, isn't God setting a bad example for himself? I mean, why does God boast about God? I love this illustration that Max Lucado gives about this, and I'm just going to read it. Why does God boast about God? For the same reason you want a lifeboat captain to boast about his lifeboat. If you were on the Titanic and you were floating in freezing cold waters of the Atlantic, you would not want the captain of the lifeboat near you, near you to be humble about his lifeboat or his ability to save you. You want him to boast about his ability to save you. All you want to hear is his voice, strong and confident. You need to hear that voice loud and clear. I've got room for you. I can save you. You want the one that can save you to be the loudest and the most confident voice across the waters. And you want the other ones, other people in the boat who've already been saved to be quiet. There is no time for anyone who is already in the boat to be bragging about themselves. You don't care about how many degrees that they have or, or what they've accomplished in the past. This is no time for anyone who's already been plucked out of the water to be bragging about their abilities. If they say anything, you want them to boast about the abilities of the lifeboat captain. You want them to be spending all of their energies pulling people in his direction. Listen, that is our purpose. That's the reason we were existed. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason we were created. To boast, to exalt, to tell others about the ability of our rescue, our rescuer, our lifeboat captain. God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. Everything about us should be about revealing his glory. The other day I was walking into a local restaurant and I saw something on the front of a truck and it said this, and you've seen this before, a license plate that said, God is my co-pilot. God has no co-pilots. God does not come into the cockpit of your plane, sit down next to you and ask you, where do you want to go? Because he wants to help you get there. He doesn't work like that. God's airplane only has one seat in it and you're not in it and neither am I. He needs no navigator, no co-pilot, no flight attendants. You and I are just lucky to be on board being handed a casual, occasional bag of pretzels every now and then. So it's not about me and it's not about you. And some of you are here this morning and I want to tell you why you're so worn out. Why you're so worn out with the Christian life is because in your heart of hearts, you know it's all about you. You've made it all about you. Some of you are in, in ministry right now. You're worn out. You're, you're, you're worn out in personal ministry because it's been all about you. Why don't I get any glory? Why don't I get any praise? For some of you, you're worn out in your marriage right now. You know why? Because it's been all about you. It's all tiresome, isn't it? Isn't it tiresome trying to promote ourselves? Isn't it tiresome worrying about what other people think about us? Everybody raise your right hand. I want you to repeat these words after me. I hereby resign from being the ruler of my universe. Amen. Put your hands down. So we need to recenter our focus this morning for the sake of our hearts, for the sake of the kingdom. We need to refocus our hearts this morning. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. 
He gets the spotlight. He gets center stage. He's the one we're here to worship this morning, not me. Don't say anything about me. He's the one that gets it all. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. So let's stand and shake the walls of this place as we worship him this morning.